Welcome to episode 11 of the Life in Bomb City podcast, brought to you by the Social and Behavioral Sciences Department at Amarillo College. I'm Aaron Favor. And I'm Dr. Beth Rodriguez. This podcast is produced in the Panhandle PBS and FM90 studios in the Washington Street campus. It's available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, podcast apps, and podcatchers. Our guests this morning are two Amarillo community members and businessmen that are helping bring Amarillo further in terms of economic development, particularly in terms of real estate. As we near the first quarter of the 21st century, we're only five years out, people. It's crazy. I know, it really is. This century is really moving fast. I mean, I guess it's true. Even though we thought we might live forever when we were younger, uh, we are getting older and we are all mortal at this table, unbelievably. I don't know, Zane. That uh, that beard is pretty epic. Once once a year, <laughs> it's pretty epic. You might be superhuman. <laughs> it kind of encourages me to grow uh, my own facial hair out a little more. A little little grayer every year. <laughs> so, uh, introductions. Austin Sharp, you were born and raised right here in Amarillo, Texas. Um, after living in Amarillo for eighteen years, graduating high school. He attended uh, Baylor University, where he graduated in 2004 with a bachelor's degree in business. From 2004 to 2010, he worked in Dallas for Coca-Cola Enterprises as a corporate recruiter. In 2010, Austin moved back to Amarillo to work for his family's commercial real estate business, Maze Incorporated. He started out in property management and worked his way into asset management, which involves ensuring the properties that are held by the company are running at peak performance. He has become a certified commercial investment member, or as they say in the industry, a CCIM. I looked into what it takes to become a CCIM, and that is not an easy process. Uh, Austin, it requires about 120 hours of professional education. To qualify, you have to have a certain dollar volume of transactions, um, along with completing a portfolio project and taking an exam. Austin currently serves on the Center City uh, Tax Increment Reinvestment Zone Board, otherwise known as TIERS. And we spoke about Center City TIERS with former Mayor Harpole in depth in episode three of our podcast, if uh, any of our listeners want to go back and uh, do some homework on that. So Austin sits on that board. In 2017, he received his real estate license. He joined Core Real Estate with uh, Mr. Zane Oliver and started helping customers and companies achieve their financial goals through investment in commercial real estate. Together, they believe that commercial real estate is the best investment alternative to help people achieve generational wealth through four pillars, cash flow, appreciation, leverage, and tax advantages. We will definitely be getting into that in more detail here in a bit and unpacking what that means for our listeners. Austin married his sweetheart Liz in 2010, and they have three wonderful kids that are three, four, and six years old. Sitting next to Austin, we have Zane Oliver. Zane was born in Dumas and has lived in Houston and Lubbock as well. However, he's been in Emerald for 24 out of his 37 years. That means that you actually just now identified your age. I know. On the podcast. So, uh, he, but you still consider Amarillo your home when people ask, and I think that's awesome. I've only known you as being from here. Um, so uh, you're also the only person that I've ever uh, that we've ever recorded that has included uh, your where you went to elementary and middle school. <laughs> <laughs> it's important. It is. it is education is so important. <laughs> but he graduated from Emerald High School in 2000. From there, he went to Texas. Uh, tech and graduated in 2004 with a bachelor's degree in business management. He then graduated in 2005 with a master's degree in business administration with an emphasis on entrepreneurship. Uh, 
He moved back to Amarillo in 2007 and spent uh, eight years as an investment advisor and financial planner. He's been in real estate full-time for the past five years, and he's a licensed real estate agent in Texas. Zane has been interested in real estate since he was young. His family has been involved in real estate for more than 40 years. Five years ago, Zane and Robert Keyes founded Core Real Estate. In the past five years, his company has worked in both the residential and commercial real estate markets and completed more than $30 million or, yeah, $30 million in transactions ranging from 100000 to $8 million in price. Um, it's just legitimate prices. These are huge. They've also been involved in residential and commercial construction ranging from 400000 to $2.5 million in price. And uh, you're building right now, right, in the most stringent and exclusive gated communities in Dallas-Fort Worth. Uh, so Zane currently serves on the Amarillo Chamber of Commerce Business Council and served on several other boards and committees in the past. He's been married to his sweetheart, Shauna, for 11 years, but has known her for 21 years. Actually been together for 21. That's amazing. Beth is like that. Beth, My husband and I have been together for 27 years yeah. and married 15 of them. So, I mean, it's wow. weird. <laughs> so together y'all have a four-year-old and a six-year-old. And uh, you guys attend Trinity Fellowship Church and are super involved and uh, hold a week, weekly life group. I uh, think that's super cool. And you guys are... Uh, really actively involved in our community and the development. That's why we wanted to have you guys on today. So welcome, gentlemen. Yeah, welcome. I did want to let you guys know, though, I graduated from OU, so Uh-oh. we kicked Uh-oh. all of your booties in football. Okay. Hey, we'll move on. Hey, it's basketball season. Uh, yeah. It's different. That's true. <laughs> we, we have a Super Bowl MVP. Yeah, well, just, just yes. um, I have a Hall of Famer. <laughs> I think we have two. LT, didn't he just get Hall of Fame? Oh, oh was that TCU too? It's I TCU. forgot to <laughs> I, went, I graduated. That's where I got my doctorate was TCU. Okay. And I taught LT. So. All right. Oh, that's cool. I know it is. I <laughs> should cool. have brought you a Topo Chico. You should have. <laughs> yeah. For mentioning that you had a doctorate. Um, so. Just <laughs> 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 joking. Okay. So, uh, so Austin and I both went to Baylor and we, I mean, yeah, it is, it's basketball season. And so we have to, we have to rely on the old basketball uh, chestnut to be able to bring that into, well, into the conversation. Tech is doing better than them in basketball. Right? No, not, oh, not this no, season. Oh. Last season, they went to the national yeah, championship. That's what so I thought. That's yeah, had a good good year last year, but yeah. Well, they're both good schools. Oh, they're great! They're All of these schools. <laughs> I think it's so funny that people get so caught up in the in the conflict of the cultures of their schools and where mm-hmm. they went to school. On one hand, it's really important to be caught up in that culture. On the other hand, it's it kind silly. of it's silly. It <laughs> it's it's kind of fun though to be part of a group, and yes. I bet. I bet it that, is fun. I bet that this psychologist over here could talk in detail about in groups and out groups and all kinds of other stuff. I could, but we're not going to do that. Today. And we don't have to do that because that's not uh, <laughs> what we're going. What we're here to talk about well, today. Maybe you can bring on that other OU fan from Emerald next next podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Um, well, yeah, that's good. That was good. <laughs> all right. So uh, to get started here, in the in the bios, we talked a little bit about uh, generational wealth. And what that means, um, I'd like to kind of unpack that a little bit. Uh, you had uh, about four different pillars there uh, that you mentioned, and here at Amarillo College, you know what we deal with is generational poverty, and we're tackling that here in uh, here in our day to day operations on campus. We have lots of different resources for students that are dealing with generational poverty. That cycle itself is different than the generational wealth cycle. And uh, we'll talk about that just a little bit. Um, it's, I mean, it starts out with parents struggling to find 
or hold a job and then the family gets homeless or is living in temporary housing. There's, you know, getting into feelings of hopelessness, fear, loss of dignity, um, struggling to keep children nourished, and then the children lack therein uh, in the abilities to obtain proper education or skills. And we're trying to break that cycle here at Emerald College. Right. So this is what we see with generational poverty and the difference between generational poverty and generational wealth is just a mindset. Right. They, they don't know any different. It's more of a survival mode in generational poverty. And when we look at generational wealth, it's, they're not, it's not survival anymore. It's, okay, now we're planning for the future. And Absolutely. how do you guys feel about that? Well, I think, you know, we probably all have some unique experience and, and insight into those things. But I do think that uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the people that we work with from a real estate uh, standpoint are, are investors and and when you talk to those investors about what's important to them, uh, what they're looking for, those kinds of things, that topic comes up a lot. That that this isn't just something that they're doing for for today. It's something that they're doing for their kids or for their families for the future. That that put them in a different position um, than than they had to be in or that we had to be in. You know, so um, while the topics aren't you you wouldn't normally associate them with each other, um, we do see we do see that a lot. And, and I do agree with you that. The mindset is is one of survival versus one of uh, growth or perpetuation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Austin, uh, did, what what is your perspective on that? I mean, is it is it like uh, is it is it a mindset or is it something that we need to we need to address on on another level, like a policy level? Yeah, I th- I think it is a mindset. Um, <clears throat> how do you break through that cycle? You know, that, that's a question for people that are probably smarter than us. But um, the reason that we are so passionate about commercial real estate or just real estate um, is that you have multiple levers uh, to pull from, especially when you compare it to other investment types. Um, let's say you're, you've got a job and that job is, you know, putting money into, let's say, a 401k. That's, you know, fantastic. But um, you've got the ability for cash flow. So when you're investing in something, uh, a commercial property, or maybe it's a residential house that someone's paying you rent, someone's paying that mortgage for you, and then you're getting a return, which is just incredible. Um, you can, that property can appreciate over time, whether it be, you know, improvements that you make to the property, you know, forced value or market appreciation. Um, you don't have to have the full amount of money. So if you want, let's say 10,000 in stock, I need $10,000. Well, if I want to buy 10,000 in real estate, I may need a few hundred dollars. And and these are, you know, just hypotheticals. Um, And then I think Zane pointed out earlier in our conversation, tax advantages um, from that are passed from one generation to another are really a foundation of, of what we do. And so we believe that uh, you know, if, if people can get to that point where they're investing in real estate, um, it's not just for what they're doing today, but their kids or grandkids can see those benefits. Um, and then you start to see real generational change. Um, and that's cool. That's really cool. So yes. wish we could just get everybody, like everybody go buy something. But yeah. I mean, and that's, we do, we have to, hopefully that's what we're doing is breaking down some of those barriers so we can move people from generational poverty and we're hoping it's education 
that gets them there. And that's kind of why one of the purposes of AC, because truthfully, um, a lot of our degrees are ASs, which are associate's degrees, and that requires a transfer. And um, not everybody's transferring, and they can't do anything with that, so we have a lot of trade. And that has been a huge part that we've grown in because we realize that, yes, they have to have money, but it's not just about the money right now. We need to continue, and we're hoping to educate people on that. Yeah, uh, there was just a re- uh, recently an, an article in the New York Times about uh, some of the individuals that are attending community colleges. They are literally sleeping in the parking lots, and I think this is one of the issues that our uh, our president um, identified uh, through personal experience and through observation was that we have students here in Amarillo that are they, they don't have access to Wi-Fi, for example, so they will hang out as close to their campus as possible. This is so sad, guys. I mean, like you get to this degree and this level of like wanting to, ach- to attain something and aspiring to improve your life and working so hard to do so, um, and you're sleeping in the parking lot of the college itself, you know, like that, when you really, when you really break that down and think about it, picture it in your head, that is such, something that should be uh, not only dignified, not something that's not, doesn't have dignity, that has so much dignity in it. That's like the pursuit of happiness, right? I mean, we get back to Jefferson mm-hmm. and what it means to have virtue and wanting to change those cycles. And so, uh, both of you guys have been involved in real estate for a long, long time. Uh, whether you, re- whether it's been official or not, you know, I know what it's like because yep. I come from a family of educators, and it was always at the dinner table as the conversations that people were having. If you wanted to be able to participate in the conversation, you had to be talking about something or <laughs> about the classroom or or something along those lines. And of course, for years, I had nothing to add to the conversation whatsoever. But so uh, for for y'all. Uh, the conversation was typically, was it something about real estate? Um, yeah, a lot of times. I mean, that, that, that was part of family business. And, and, and um, so, of course, when, you know, family business doesn't stay at work, it, it comes home and, and it's what you talk about uh, at your mills and, and everything in between. And so um, for me, it was really, it was really good to, to continue. That was something that I just believe was, was put in me a long time ago, but but continued to be fueled and, and, and that seed was, was watered throughout time and, and got to be included in conversations that, that not only, um, you know, maintained interest, but also educated, you know, starting to learn, you know, what are they talking about? Why are they talking about that? How do you know, how does this rent work? How does that, you know, just different pieces of the puzzle. And so uh, I think Austin and I, you know, both coming from families uh, with, with a long time in real estate, it, it was something that, it became more of our language and more of our nature. And there's a lot of people that jump in and have to work really hard to understand a lot of this conceptually where we had just a good fortune, I guess, to, uh, that it was, you know, built into us in a lot of ways. There's a lot of stuff that's going on in the community right now that you, there's doing stuff with real estate. And one of the things that, um, you guys had had a conversation about was the civic center. Right. And, um, I was just wondering what, like, what was, what was the conversation and what, um, what are y'all thinking on those lines? Well, you know, I, from my perspective, um, you know, it is it is a tough topic because it, it is a bond election. There's going to be a property tax increase. And so anytime, I mean, even my grandma, whose property taxes are frozen, you know, she's <laughs> in her 80s. 
we were talking about it the other day and I'm not voting for that because it's going to raise my property taxes. I'm like, grandma, your taxes are frozen. Yeah. Well, it, we don't need it. You know, this is that, that conservative mindset. Um, <clears throat> and that's not a bad thing. You know, I, I think it's anytime you're, you're going to have a raise asking people to pay more, it's a big deal. So we need to be cognizant of it. Um, the way I I'm looking at it and Zane may have a different perspective is, you know, this thing is 50 to 60 years old. Um, and from a real estate perspective, we see if you let a property or an asset kind of deteriorate over time, you're on borrowed time. And so functionally, this thing is almost obsolescent. Um, for instance, the Coliseum, you know, currently has a height of 38 feet. Well, the industry standard now is 60 feet. So there's a lot of concerts that they can't even go put, you know, requests for proposals to come to Amarillo uh, because we don't have the right functionality. Um, and so I think what they were saying is that on for a $100,000 valuation of your house, it's going to be $150 annual um, in, in tax that you're going to pay. Um, but really what I'm looking at is like, what's the opportunity cost if we don't do it? Um, the uh, World Championship Rodeo loves Amarillo. That's about a 6 to $8 million economic impact every year. Well, they said we're, we're probably not going to come back because the arena is not big enough and they're having to kind of scatter out their programs when they come. Um, and so let's say you lose that over the next three or four years, well, that could be the first of a, a long line of dominoes to fall if we don't do something now. So I think it's probably a good thing, um, but yeah, it, it's a hot, it's a hot topic sure. for sure. So what about you Zane? Well, <clears throat> I'm always of the opinion that um, anything that involves taxes or, or other people's money and government spending has to be, has to be scrutinized really well. Uh, it's gotta be put together well. Uh, has to be evaluated. Um, as Austin said, you know, the, the, we can't go back in time at this point and undo the fact that the civic, civic Center exists and that the city owns it in the capacity that they do. So we do have a decision to make today as, as asset managers, as, you know, stewards of these things that we have as a city. How do we take care of these uh, properly? How do we grow them? What are what is the resources coming back from them? And so, um, while I while I'm not a fan of taxes in general and things like that, um, I, when you can look at the inputs and say if if we spend X, you know, it, it appears we can get Y. If if that's a if that's a right sided equation, um, I can generally support it. Um, I do think this one's tough. I, I, th I think it's a big ask, and there's some there's some unknowns in there. Uh, which I, I think that's where there's going to be a lot of pushback and, and feedback come in from that. Totally understand that. Totally agree with it. Um, yeah, as a, as a concept and as a whole, I do think that this is something necessary for Emerald. Um From a revenue standpoint, I think those those uh, taxes that are generated from the different events, the concerts, anything we have, and it's not just the the event itself. It's the restaurants, it's the hotels, it's the shopping, it's the activities, entertainment, it's all the other things that come along with it that make the real economic impact. So yes, the events themselves are are, are usually good, um, but the the economic impact across the city in different areas is, is what's really important. Uh, for people to consider. It's fascinating uh, to get into this topic because it leads into so many other topics uh, with regard to uh, government uh, intervention, uh, so to speak. So when we talk about things like incentivizing 
in incentivizing some type of uh, investment from the from the private industry, not not government owned things, but rather uh, getting our own citizens involved. I love the free market, man. I mean, right? Mm-hmm. This is this is what we're talking about. Uh, so the government the government is sets up uh, an opportunity uh, and tiers the tax increment reinvestment zones uh, that we have. We have two of them now here in Amarillo, and they're separate from the uh, what is it called the uh, that that the federal government has the opportunity zones. The opportunity zones here in Amarillo. It's very it's different from that. Um, we have uh, right here. Uh, it's an economic development tool that captures the projected increase in tax revenue that's created by development within a defined area and reinvest those funds into public improvements and development projects that benefit the zone. Um, is tears involved at all in, uh, the, in the civic center? I think this is a question that people, people might have. I, I don't believe they are. No, there's not going to be a, a tax incentive, uh, for in any kind of investment because it's a bond election. So, okay. So we wanted to clear that up, uh, with voters, uh, before they vote on this. And uh, in addition to that, though, we all want to see an Aerosmith concert here. Right. I mean, they're getting older. <laughs> Last <laughs> I wanna, chance. I want to see them uh, before before anything happens to any of the band members. I lost that opportunity with uh, Tom Petty. We all yeah. did, right? Yeah. So uh, anyway, so the tax investment reinvestment zones, also uh, there there's a base value that's attached to them uh, determined by the existing taxable value of real property within the, the tiers at the time the tiers is created. So the taxing entities, um, i.e. the city, the council, the, co- the county, and the school district continue to receive the base year value of the property taxes throughout the life of the 30-year zone. The increment the portion of incremental increase in real property tax revenue above the base year resulting from increases in taxable value of property is captured for the, the purposes of the tiers. And so uh, in terms of government, and this is what's so interesting about this, it's just a debate that we have in this country, in our community, is what level should the government be involved in private enterprise, in investment in the community? It seems like in the city of Amarillo, we're having this age-old discussion about uh, what, and it's among conservatives as well. It's so interesting. It kind of breaks, it factionalizes conservatives yeah. in, a, in a lot of degrees. So uh, at what point do does do we have an obligation to the future of our community to invest in the future? Right, and that's exactly what we were talking about earlier. It's like we, we see something. Why would we not fix what we already have when we can. If it's not fixable, then let's not fix it. There's no reason to throw a bunch of money in. But I just love what they've been doing with downtown. Like, I rem- I mean, it was like months. Like one month you went down and it was nothing. And then all of a sudden it's like, bam, there's everything. And um, I just think that also bringing in the Civic Center along those lines of, you know, upping up its game with the ballpark and all the stores and, I mean, Everything down there is so neat now. And I need people to keep moving in for sure. Like we see the empty ones and we're like, why is no one there? Um, But I think that just kind of brings in this idea of, you know, the two different ideologies. And it's the people who want to, like, I want to take care of my stuff. And then the other people are like, well, 
I can take care of my stuff, but I also want to give something back to the community so we can better everybody. It can definitely be a double-edged sword. We're, we're actually working with a, a property owner downtown right now and uh, have their property listed and represented. And we're under contract for that. And it's, it happens to fall in both these categories. So it's property that's in the opportunity zone from a federal standpoint. And so we've got an outside investor from Fort Worth uh, come in specifically for that purpose, that they've, they're either taking advantage of the tax advantages that are given to them through that opportunity zone. Uh, but part of that plan, the opportunity zone, is it's not just you buy something, it's you buy something and improve it. Mm-hmm. And so there, there will be significant improvement made to this property if this deal goes through. And on the second side of that, it's near enough to the civic center that it's important to him to understand what's going to happen with that process, with that piece of the puzzle. If that goes through, his property is now more valuable and he can afford to do more with it. Uh, makes it that much more attractive for the end user, whether that be a, you know, a tenant or, or whatever else that comes in there that, that they have access to the amenities around them, the, you know, the food, the activities, the, the business, whatever it is that they need to do. So um, a lot of these issues that we talk about, we, they're not black and white issues. Um, we, we would like for them to be, <laughs> I think it would make it easier for a lot of people if they sure. were, uh, but there's a lot of aspects to consider of, of these deals. It's the unfortunate thing is if you don't participate in these incentives today, you're almost at a loss because everybody else is, you know, almost every city across the country, you know, has a tears, um, they're, you know, if they're going to do a big capital improvement, like the civic center, it's going to involve a bond election. And so it's like, do you, do you not do it? And does the civic center sit there another 50 years and become really just, you know, kind of a wasteland or do you try to do something and participate um, and, and bring some comrades? So, uh, you know, it's unfortunate to a degree because I, I love the free market and in a perfect world would love to see all no incentives Um, but that's, it's not the world we live in. So what do, what do we do as a city? Um, it's a tough question. You know, it's a tough debate. The, the good thing, the projections they're making for the civic center is that it would add an additional, you know, 30 to $40 million a year, um, in revenue. And that's based on uh, a lot of the people that they have, um, you know, gone to say, Hey, would you come here if we had X, Y, Z and have expressed sincere interest you know, and bringing concerts and events to Amarillo. Um, they're projecting uh, 171,000 more people from outside of Amarillo coming here, 33,000 more hotel stays. And so, you know, the that would have a, a direct benefit, direct economic impact to our community. Um, so, you know, overall, we think it's going to be a positive thing. It seems that the tiers that we're, that we're kind of talking about in a lot of these big cities across the country, um, the encouragement and community development and getting what used to be um, the infrastructure really of, of the city kind of, we, I mean, the, the actual, the actual board's neighbor that the, the problem center city tiers, if it's center, it's fits the, if it is indeed the center of the city. And I remember asking former mayor Harpole about this um, because I remember the, the debate back then was all about 
uh, was all about the the question of is this something that is viable for the future of Amarillo? We have unbelievable population growth going on in Amarillo, and a lot of it is taking place in. Uh, Southwest Amarillo and different parts of Amarillo. Why are we investing in downtown Amarillo? Well, downtown Amarillo has historically been the center of our region. And he, he discussed in great detail um, in episode three that people come here as a market from all over. I mean, not just Texas, people come in here from Oklahoma, they come in and the next, the next available market is like Albuquerque and Oklahoma city and South of us, Lubbock. And that's it. So if we can, if we can somehow broaden the base of bringing people in, capturing them with uh, good uh, hotel stays, um, and in addition to that, having a good time uh, on, on Polk Street and uh, doing some other things, then it only goes to benefit and prop up the surrounding communities and the businesses that are in those communities. And that seems to be the long-term strategy, the master strategy, so to speak, of the idea of a, of a tax increment reinvestment zone. Is that, uh, would y'all say that's an accurate portrayal? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, I think the, the mindset is a rising tide lifts all boats. Um, you know, I think the traffic counts on I-40 are 60 to 80,000 cars per day. Um, and then you've got what, 25,000 people working downtown every day. Well, those people, you know, they're, they're coming through. And so if, if we have a vibrant downtown, which is, you look at most cities, if you pull up a picture on Google, what's the first thing you see? The downtown. So if this is strong, it, it, it really is going to have a spillover effect for our entire community. They may, people may come, they may like Amarillo, they may stay, they may not live downtown, but they're going to stake roots in Amarillo and, and that's going to have a direct economic impact. So. Okay. I have a kind of a Crazy question for y'all. Okay, so because Aaron had mentioned that Amarillo is growing in the population, if you were able to buy any land anywhere right now, where would it be because you know it's growing there? Well, the, one of the unique situations about Amarillo is that, uh, you know, people from outside Amarillo come in and they say, well, you, you've got nothing but, but land, nothing but dirt out here. Well, the, the unique situation of Amarillo is that most of that dirt is owned by less than a handful of people. And so there's uh, a unique market dynamic in that, that uh, generally that's not available unless you're really willing to pay a pretty premium price for it. Um, and, and so Emerald presents several unique opportunities and, and conditions that I think some other cities don't have. And, and that's one of them. And, and that does affect development and growth in a lot of different factors, uh, especially in direction. Um, Something else that, that we see that, that affects how we can attract people to Amarillo, whether it's, you know, a civic center situation, a downtown situation, a southwest Amarillo situation, any of them. Um, people from outside the area typically are used to more large metropolitan areas, a DFW, for example, where they look at MSA, at your metropolitan statistical area, that they're looking for population counts. Well, we don't have quite that next level yet where we can start attracting some of these other, uh, whether it be hotels, restaurants, um, retailers of different kinds, uh, that doesn't necessarily exist in our true MSA, what, what they're used to saying is an MSA, but what they 
what our argument and our fight has been for a long time, and we're not alone in this. Anybody in real, anybody in the real estate space will will talk to you about this factor that you know once you hit a quarter million people, a lot more opportunities start coming up. Well, we're getting pretty close to that, but what they don't understand is the people that do come from you know three or four different states away that are all within a even a one hour drive time. Uh, that come from small towns, small populations, don't have access to health care or a lot of the other things that we offer. And so uh, we argue that our true MSA is closer to, you know, four and 500,000 people in most situations. But uh, that's a hurdle that we face today is, is trying to trying to convince people how many people come into Amarillo for commerce. Yeah, we'll go to, um, Zane and I go to retail conventions, you know, across the state and you know, we'll, we'll have our brochures for our properties and they'll say, well, we, we need the, you know, the MSA to be 250. And that's why Lubbock, they're pretty close. Um, and they, they get a lot of things that we're not, we we're not getting at the moment. When you say, okay, you know, let's back up guys. Look, we have people from New Mexico, from the panhandle, from Oklahoma that come here for our, you know, great medical, um, you know, commerce, we've got I-40 and then it's like, oh, okay, you know, may, okay, let's, let's take a, a, a deeper dive and look at Amarillo and look at this site and see if it makes sense. But we have to sell it a little harder. Um, but I think it, it seems like the, the ADC, the new president um, and, and some leaders at the city have, have caught on to, to some of these things and, and, you know, the, the light bulb has gone on and they're like, okay, we, we can leverage some of this stuff and take advantage of it. And, uh, you know, I, th- I think our best days as a community are definitely in front of us from an economic standpoint. Speaking of best days in front of us, speaking of population growth, uh, capturing more and more individuals in the community, the Texas Tech Vet School, yep. the veterinary school that we just now in the last year has, uh, become a reality, uh, in terms, can we, can we talk a little bit about that in terms of economics, uh, what the, what the value that brings to the community that just doesn't have to do with money, but also for the community as a whole, what that means, the synergies between the, having a pharmacy school, having a met, having a, a vet school right there. I mean, you've, you've got all the kinds of synergies that are there that are make, make Amarillo very unique in the national and international uh, economic landscape? Yeah, I mean, from the initial economic impact, we're talking, you know, 90 to $100 million in construction alone, um, you know, to get the facility up and going. And so that's a, that's a nice impact around here. That's, it's a local general contractor that's going to handle the majority of that work. Um, so, you know, that always increases hiring, wages, trades, all that stuff are going to be here, you know, just involved with that project alone. And so... Uh, past that, we're talking 300 plus jobs that that that, that school is going to bring in, and almost all of those are going to be very well paying jobs. Um, that's going to be uh, you know kind of the secondary economic impact, and they're they're calculating. Uh, I can't remember the exact number, somewhere uh, north of 100 million, 120 million a year, uh, between payroll and taxes, everything else that that will recurringly generate. Um, so I think those that. That initial impact alone is something significant, something that Amarillo needs a lot more of, we believe, is, is that job creation. And this is a really good step for us. Creating 300 jobs right now is is, is, is going to be a significant impact. 
Yeah, I don't. I don't think the the impact can be understated here because it's it's huge for our economy, um, not just on the you know the hundred million dollar annual economic impact, but now you have a, a vet school, a health sciences school, um, you know, and um, and the pharmacy and the farm school, you know, right right next to each other. I think we're the only city in America that has that combination, and so. What what we're hoping is this is just the beginning. The AEDC can go out and, and really pitch to like, uh, you know, Merck's probably a bad example because it's big, but but smaller pharmaceutical research companies who can come in and take advantage of this synergy. And so, you know, maybe they can go out and land, you know, five or six, 30 to $40 million companies um, to call Hamerill home. So really this is just the beginning um, of what we see is is just an enormous economic win. Probably the biggest thing we've had as a community since, would you say Bell so, Helicopter uh, yeah, Zane? Bell Helicopter. Um, so, and that's, you know, we're breaking ground. They've broken ground. So this is here, this is now, and it, it really is exciting. Well, and we've already worked with clients uh, that, that as this deal was, was coming to fruition, that have already made steps to, to grow with this, you know, veterinary clinics expanding, getting ready for new things. Uh, the research side of this is, is there's a lot of potential there. You know, with, with the state-run schools there, there's a lot of grants and funding that come along with research. Uh, you know, your student doctors and, and everybody else that's, that's uh, actually at the school, attending the school. So you've got some, uh, you know, from an outside private sector standpoint, you've got some quote-unquote free labor and, and free research that you get to piggyback with and, and, and support uh, and so that's where we think there's a lot of opportunity um, as a second step of what does the vet school bring it. Yeah, it's going to bring in students, it's going to bring in jobs, um, faculty, and so forth. But the the other things around it, secondary to that, uh, there's a lot of opportunity for it. We're going to have to go out and work for it. We're going to have to go out and get them. But we do have a really unique value proposition and having something that you can test on animals, something that you can test on humans, something that you can develop the drug uh, in in. Uh, what am I trying to say here? <laughs> Along with uh, these research facilities, um, so really unique opportunity. We're excited about that. Uh, this this whole thing has been, I think, a really you know really good positive thing for our community, and, and is just going to continue to to multiply itself. So, uh, you know, we talked about economic uh, stimulus, and 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 our AEDC pledged a pretty significant amount of money so that this building, you know, this facility could be built. Um, it looks like at the end of the day that it turns out that most of that money was covered by private donors from the private sector anyway. But I was really glad that that we had the ability to step up and say, one way or the, another, we'll make sure this gets built so that they could take it further in the state and make sure that we they could get you know accredited and approved to the state, all those good things. So that's one of the cases where I can argue for um, a, a tax incentive or, or however you want to look at it that being positive for our for our environment certainly i don't think a lot of people knew like know how big a deal it was that we landed that i think they heard it they saw a little blip on the news and then it's like okay moving on i don't think they realized how big of a deal like it is a big deal that this is coming yeah and and a lot of private citizens investors like zane mentioned i mean jerry hodge with maxor pharmacy wrote a check for 10 million dollars um, for the structure. So private citizens um, paid for the 
I guess, the construction costs of the building. And then they were able to take that amount of money, go to the state and get their annual economic funding, which is, I don't know, three or four million dollars. So really this development, which is going to pay dividends for our city for you know generations, uh, was stemmed on the back of, of people who really love this community. Um, so, you know, it's pretty cool to see, you know, we, we realized what the need was and they came together. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think many people know what a Herculean effort it was. And I think the other thing that's going to benefit just our state and specifically to us being the beef capital of the world. Now we have that many more, uh, you know, qualified veterinary uh, veterinarians that will go out and service, you know, large animals. So it's going to also give relief for, you know, ranchers who, uh, you know, we, we, we don't have enough veterinarians. Um, and we had a large population of students uh, leaving the state to go to um, vet school because there's only one vet school in the country or in Texas, in Texas A&M. Um, so now we, we've got a second option. So really just, it's, it's a win for our city. It's a win for our state. Really cool. We should tip our, uh, tip our collective hat uh, to the visionaries that have wanted to see that happen for years. And this is something that I think about a lot is the power of an idea. I mean, somebody somewhere at one point or another just said, that's an interesting idea. What if this could happen? Right. And I bet that I, I would I would venture to guess that not everybody not only everybody at this table has that understanding at some point or another you know we've gone it, most likely the the biggest ideas that we that we come up with happen to be who we're going to marry and we kind of go wouldn't it be interesting if I were to ask this individual to marry me or whatever the case may be and then years later you kind of understand the investments you got you both uh, <laughs> Beth yes. and Zane are talking about uh, being invested in the same person for you know, decades. And, uh, that idea though also ventures out into the community and, uh, collectively, I want us to be able to tip our hats to the people that, uh, saw this so far down the line and saw it as a big win, what it would be like, because there are so many detractors that want to kill ideas, um, because they don't think that it's possible. They don't, they see the hurdles. They don't ever, they don't look at the long-term big uh, win for the community. They're looking at all the different hurdles that you have to overcome in order to get there. I learned from a really good uh, friend of mine um, early on in my career, thank God, that uh, when you have a big idea, don't look at the hurdles first. Look at all of the benefits and the advantages, and then later on go back and start taking them one at a time, break them down. And it sounds like this is exactly what we did in Amarillo with these unique, these individuals, uh, who, you know, contributed. And then now we've got a collective benefit for the whole community. It's a, it's a saying a lot. Okay. Another question. <laughs> okay. So forever we've said, I remember when it seemed like Canyon was so far away and now it seems like they're, it's pretty much connected. Do we see that happening where Canyon and Amarillo are really, just suburb, like it's a Canyon's now a suburb of Amarillo or, you know, that kind of thing. Like we see in Dallas, how Frisco, you know, it's like, it's really just all Dallas, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, yes and no. I, I think it's already happened to, in, in a lot of respects that uh, Canyon Independent School District comes well inside 
the city limits of Amarillo at this time. And again, you know, we're talking about big vision and foresight and maybe even lack of foresight in a lot of situations that years and years ago, I, uh, off the cuff, I think, I, I believe it was in the 50s or the 60s that Amarillo uh, Independent School District sold off uh, some of the territory, you know, gave up the right um, not knowing or not thinking how and where and, and when that the city would grow. And, and so that's part of the reason that, that Canyon Independent School District actually actually exists inside of Amarillo City Limits, even though the city of, uh, of Canyon is what, 15, you know, 15 miles away. Um, so to, to that respect, it already has happened. And I think, yes, that that is still a growing population of, uh, of Amarillo is, is in that buffer zone, what, what used to be a, a gap and is now just kind of a buffer zone. And um, a lot of the residential development is happening within that. The, uh, actually, there's, there's very little uh, land left, developable land left in Emerald Independent School District. So for the, for the foreseeable future, all we're going to continue to have is, is a growth in Canyon Independent School District and even Bushland now. You know, we're, we're talking, you go west of town that's now growing into the east and, and we're growing to the west that um, we're blurring those lines that used to be a lot, you know, a lot more uh, distinction and a lot bigger space between. So um, will we ever ever grow or in the near future in our lifetime uh will we actually grow together as a city I, possibly I, I think that's still when you look at the past 20 to 30 years it's taken that amount of time for us to really you know to get where we are today um from geographically um so i think we've still got a long time before we would ever look at a situation where we were truly a suburb or, or have to make any different arrangements from you know from a governmental standpoint, anything like that. Right. Uh, I was in a conversation. I have no earthly idea how I end up in conversations sometimes with some of these people. You just show up. <laughs> show up. <laughs> ten about ten years ago, um, Carl Rove, the uh, Republican uh, strategist, was here in Amarillo speaking at WT, and uh, somehow I found myself in this private conversation. I have no earthly idea how it happened, um, but. Uh, he was talking, and this is somebody that's going to have an understanding on the national level about economic strategies uh, for regions, for cities, for et cetera. And he indicated how smart of a strategy it was for uh, Canyon and Amarillo to blend their economies collectively and see the, the benefits of uh, kind of playing off of each other in different ways. And he saw that as a long-term strategy in the, in the region and kind of, you know, tipped his hat to his, uh, to, to the, individuals that were thinking about the, the that are charged to think about those things, you know, elected officials, um, people that are on committees, um, uh, such as you guys, um, and thinking about the, the long-term things that are, that are not something that the day-to-day person, uh, might, uh, might consider when they're just, and that kind of gets us into a larger conversation about our Amarillo students, uh, Amarillo college students who are living, uh, oftentimes we find day to day. And so I don't know. I want to put that Beth, Beth was about to say something. I was just going to again, ask a question. If there was anything, since you both are on committees and different things with real estate, is there any like huge thing that you were like, God, I wish they wouldn't have done that. Like bought land, sold land or done something that you're like, that is such a, I mean, it not a good idea. You're putting us on the spot now. Yes, uh, I am. Uh, um, well, I think you can, f- 
from from a from a city standpoint, from a governmental standpoint, I think um, you know there can always be arguments back and forth. Um, I think several things that um, had good intentions probably didn't pan out, and I think some other things that probably could have pan out didn't make it. Um, so. Yeah, that's a tough argument. Yeah. <laughs> uh, again, you know, I'm always going to default a little bit to the, um, I, I want the city and the government to be as involved as in as little as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, a little bit of my personal uh, political right. uh, theology there is, is that um, I want to see the private, sec- private sector do as much as they can. And we go back to that comment of, of a lot of the land is owned by a few people. Those few people have done a lot for the community. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. while, while they own an asset and they have a responsibility, you know, we can, we can make that circular discussion argument there of, of stewarding your assets and growing things and so forth. Uh, those are some of the families and some of the folks that have, that have spearheaded a lot of initiative and have donated land for things. Yeah, even in the Texas Tech vet school uh, situation, there's been land donated for the large animals where they'll actually keep and, and, and work on and practice with large animals and things like that. Um, so it, it's not always that one-sided discussion. And you do find a lot more often that, that in that um, wealth mindset, if you want to call it that, um, that you then become more mindful mm-hmm. of the people around you, the situations around you. And, and, it, and, and in most situations, I'd say it's, it's a lot more of not only how can we take care of ourselves, but how can we, leave a legacy right and that legacy is much more than who owns this property or, or what bank account goes where it's you know did we make an impact in, in the community around us and it's even in our mission statement it's one of the things that we believe in um you know improving the quality of life around us and the economy around us and, and what that means to us from an economy standpoint a big portion of that is job creation mm-hmm. the more people the more retailers the more whoever we can attract emerald the more opportunities that we can create here, the more jobs that will be created. And that, that feeds into what you guys are talking about mm-hmm. and what you guys are living too, is that those, those jobs are, are a lot of times good jobs. Those, those are things that it, whether you have a, a, a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, it, it doesn't matter. Some of them are just purely trade, um, but they're quality jobs that give people a better quality of life. Exactly. And that's what we do. We really want to educate people and keep them here. Like we want our very educated, intelligent, um, prepared students to have a place to actually stay and work. And I think that's part of you guys, what your mission statement says. And I kind of, that's really neat that y'all have that. Well, the second piece of that, that we talk about, you know, attracting people with, with MSA, how many people can come and and shop at my store, whatever the, the second piece is you're talking to an employer. They say, how many people can come work for me? How many, how many skilled, educated, qualified employees do we have available? And that's one thing that I think Amarillo is behind on. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a very low unemployment rate, and while that might look good on paper as a statistic, it also means that there's not available, qualified, you know, good employees for a lot of employers to come into Amarillo and have a pool, ha- have somebody that they can uh, come to and hire. So while we're, not, while we're also trying to attract new business in, we've got to attract employees into. And and so from a city standpoint that, (coughs) that takes in where the city is, is uh, well-meaning in trying to create some of these uh, experiential things, downtown ballparks, civic center, all that. 
it, there, there's a quality of life aspect that, that leads to those other factors that how do we attract people if, if our town isn't fun, attractive with a lot of things. So that's, that's the other side of that argument. Sure. Is it all done perfectly and should taxpayers pay for every penny? You know, that's, that's the back and forth argument, but mm-hmm. a lot of those um, ideas are founded in those, in those thoughts and in those gaps of what are, what are we lacking? Well, we're lacking qualified workforce. Mm-hmm. Why are we lacking it? Well, is Emerald a fun place to be? It's getting better, I you know, and, yes. and people that, yeah. yeah, people from Amarillo generally love Amarillo. And I think that's how we all are at this table, mm-hmm. probably that we grew up here. We've been here a long time and we love it. You know, we, we love the quality of life here, the, the easiness of a lot of things and so forth. But do we have the attractions and the amenities of, of larger cities? Mm-hmm. We're doing more, but, but there's a lot lacking. And when we have to compete with other cities, whether it's Lubbock, whether it's DFW, what, whatever those cities are, uh, th- those are the things that we're competing on. You know, what, what kind of quality of life is there? That's, that has to do with wages, has to do with education, has to do with fun and amenities and all these things. And so very few of these things are, are a one, one-sided, one-point topic. Sure. Mm-hmm. That makes total sense. So, um, you know, f- I think it was five or six years ago we had an opportunity to uh, pass the ARC, which was the activities and recreational component uh, soccer fields, new volleyball courts. I think there was a, a Olympic sized swimming pool. And, you know, I think we missed out on that to a degree. It was a bond election. So, you know, we needed to put thought and consideration into it. But um, in talking with some of my friends who are in, have kids in traveling sports, they're spending, you know, five to 10 grand plus a year um, going to Lubbock or Dallas. Um, and part of the reason that some of these tournaments don't come here is because our facilities, and I grew up playing soccer here, it's terrible. Southwest Park, I mean, you've got clogs of dirt. I mean, I can't tell you how many sprained ankles mm-hmm. I had. Um, and maybe it's gotten better. I haven't been out there. And, okay, no. you're shaking your head. It hasn't. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I, I think that would have been a direct quality of life enhancement it was going to bring people into Amarillo. They're going to stay for the weekend. They're going to spend money. Um, and so I, I think part of the reason maybe the the city didn't really feel like they needed to educate the public as much. They just thought, oh, this is, we've done polling. This is needed. Of course it's going to pass. And, and it didn't. So the the positive is I think that they have figured out we really need to do a better job of educating the public on the benefits of some of these things, not just, well, your property taxes are going to raise and why does that benefit me? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think we missed out on that. Um, I would agree with you on that. Okay. Yeah. You have kids. And- I do. I have two boys playing um, baseball. Okay. And so, I mean, the baseball fields they're not anything where we, we go to other, like Lubbock. They have like fab, mm-hmm. fabulous fields all over the place in Oklahoma City. God, they have so many fields. And so I think we are missing out on the, a lot of that. Uh, the, what It kind of goes to what is the opportunity cost of not doing something? You know, we always talk about what the cost is of doing something. And we forget to ask the other question, which is, well, what are we going to do if we don't do it? I mean, what do, what's the cost of not doing anything? Well, we don't know what that is. We can only use our imagination. And I find that uh, other cities are going to take advantage of it. 
is the uh, is part of the opportunity cost of not doing anything. And so uh, that's seems like a, a good a good way to respond to that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's there's always going to be two sides of that coin, and you have to evaluate both sides and make the best decision you can at that point. What what we hope and and uh, that that over time that we can in, uh, encourage more private investment in that as well. I mean, when we look at the economic factors that drive um, any you know what you're talking about a sports facility or anything like that. Um, if we can recognize that opportunity and, and then we can put the the financial metrics and all the other things with it, that's something that we spend a lot of time thinking about. Like, what don't we have that, that we need or that we can try to, you know, promote whether we have the capacity to do that or not? How can we, you know, how can we talk to others about those situations and, and increase those opportunities? Mm-hmm. Well, and you look at, you know, the tiers, um, opportunity costs. So, Property values from 1985 to 2002 in in the downtown area declined about 21%, while across Samarillo, they increased 168%. Um, Since the tiers was created in 2006, there's been almost $100 million in um, property tax, uh, you know, value increased in that urban core. Now, did they do an incentive to, to get it there? Yeah, they did. But if they hadn't have done that and we go another 10 or 15 years and those property values continued, let's say it's another 20, 20, 25%. So now you're 40% while the rest of Amarillo is growing and you have this downtown that's kind of crumbling. So, okay, what was the opportunity cost of not, of, you know, if you yeah. didn't do that, you know, that that's, that's it. And so has it been perfect, like Zane has pointed out? there's probably some things that we could do better. Um, has it been as successful as they wanted it to be? Um, it's probably mixed on some areas. Like they wanted, you know, I think like 1500 multifamily housing units by now, or we might be at three or 400. Mm -hmm. And there's some reasons behind that, but you know, at least they got three or 400 and there's, you know, some plans in the works. Uh, the first bank Southwest tower is, is now adding units which yeah. is really cool. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's a direct, like you can see this declining valuation and like, okay, if we don't do something today, this problem is not going to get better. Mm-hmm. So thank you guys so much for being with us today. Uh, and, and thank you for all the work that you do. Good yeah. grief. You guys are helping out the community. That's pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah, which helps our college. Yeah, and, and hopefully, <laughs> and hopefully, we're training students uh, and teaching students that are going to be, uh, you know, working alongside you guys and 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 in the future uh, become visionaries themselves uh, and and contribute to our collective economy and collective good. So, yeah. anyway, we thanks for having you. us on, guys. Yeah. We absolutely we appreciate what you guys do and the value you guys bring to the community. Thank you. Big time. (laughs) Okay, listeners, we have 16 more episodes to do this spring lined up uh, for you covering everything from the impeachment trial, which is over, but we're still going to go back and look at it in retrospect to mental health, to national and international security. We're going to be with two of our history professors to visit about Ernest Hemingway and F. Scott Fitzgerald. Um, We also have guests lined up from across the country from the fields of political psychology and international relations to questions regarding sex education. Some upcoming episodes include our very own Dr. Alan Key, 
uh, retired professor Dr. James Calvi from WTAMU and Dr. Wade Schaefer, also of WTAMU. Thank you again to uh, both of our gentlemen guests this morning, and thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode. Have a good one.